You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to have you do is... um, don't stand yet, but have your Bibles open to Psalm chapter Psalm 135. Psalm 135, we'll be drawing our first passage of Scripture from there. So just want you to be ready with that. Now, a couple weeks ago, it really wasn't a couple weeks ago, it was about a week and a half ago, we heard from Brother Mark uh, Ganyatakis. I like to call him Mad Dog Mark. He seems to like that. But he preached a message entitled, Are You Moved? And in it, he made a controversial statement, which is, is good. You, you ought to be, make at least one controversial statement when you're preaching. But he, uh, he made a direct comparison. He drew a direct analogy between the worship, if you'll remember, those of you who were here, uh, the worship of, God, of the goddess Diana in Ephesus. Remember he talked about that and about the great industry that was surrounded this worship of Diana. There was the silversmiths and they made the idols and they sold it to the people. And, and so there was this, this great industry that surrounded that particular idolatry. And he made, Brother Mark, made a direct comparison between that and what we do today with Disney and Universal Studios. Plunking down our hard-earned money to worship at the altar of godless entertainment. And then he asks, why are we so easily moved? And he's right. He's absolutely right. I would not bring it up if I disagreed with him, because that's, that's, not, that's not my thing. Okay? I brought it up because it really hit home with me. And I think we're going to see as we go through this message that the truth about idolatry uh, in America, in our modern times, is astonishing. But here's the thing, that in a room this size with this many people, though, when he's made that statement, okay, in a room this size with this many people, I'm certain that there were uh, a few, right, who probably thought in their hearts, thought in our hearts, I, I don't know about that, Brother Mark. Um, I think you're taking things a little too far. I think you're a little overboard. I think you're a little off the mark, making that analogy. And there had to be a few who thought that. Um, starting, I'm going to admit, with, with myself at first, when I first heard it, okay? Uh, at first I was like, huh? I said, that sounds a little over the top. But as he went on in his message, the Lord uh, started getting a hold of my heart about this. And see, the thing is, the, 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 this passage of Scripture we're going to look at right now God had already put that on my heart several months ago. Remember, I went to Pastor and I showed you, and, and I want to thank you, Pastor, for it, because he gave me a, a couple of other passages of Scripture uh, that came in very handy when I put together this message. Um, and so we'll see that uh, later on. And so I could see by the end of his sermon, I thought, Brother Mark, you are absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And then during the invitation last Sunday night, uh, God showed me a truth that just, it just struck me like a hammer. And I couldn't even get up for a few minutes. I was done praying, but I couldn't get up because it had just struck me so. And so, speaking of getting up, let's stand now 
We'll go ahead and stand right now. We're going to read, or I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. If you'll just follow along. It says, The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, I just pray, Lord, that you eliminate these scriptures that we'll be looking at tonight. Lord, I pray you be with me, Lord. Help me to speak, not with my, under my power, Lord, but by yours. I pray your Holy Spirit have free reign over people's hearts, Lord. And Lord, that we hearken unto your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let's look at this passage right now. First of all, um, notice the origin of idols. The origin of idols. Let me ask you this question. Does Satan give us idols? According to this passage. No. No. He does, Satan does a lot of things. He tempts us, okay? He attacks us in many different ways. But he does not give us idols. According to the scripture, idols are the work of men's hands. They are purely the invention of people. So whether they be silver or gold or otherwise, idols are things that we create with our own will and effort. And that's important that we understand that as we go on. Next, notice the attributes of the idols. Notice the characteristics that the Bible points out about them. They have mouths that do not speak. They have eyes that do not see. They have ears that do not hear. And again it says they have mouths that do not speak. It says it twice. And we might say, well, obviously they don't, right? They're idols, right? They're not real, as we put it, right? They don't have any of the attributes of God. In fact, they lack even the basic attributes of a human being. However, idols are real in a sense. Now, they may not be gods. They're not. They may be just figments of our imagination, or they may be just the crafty work of our hands. But they are real in this sense, in that they have a peculiar effect on those who put their trust in them. And what is that effect? So here's the Bible principle, right? And the Bible lays down a very clear principle that those who make idols become like those idols. Those who put the effort into creating idols become like the thing that they have created. And they become like those idols in these key attributes. They have eyes that do not see what is plainly in front of them. They have ears that do not understand what is plainly spoken. They have a mouth that does not speak. And that quality is most noticeable, most glaringly noticeable when something needs to be said, and it's not. Now, before we go any further, let's talk about also a little bit more about what, what constitutes an idol. Because it's easier for us to say, well, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't bow down to graven images. I don't keep a statue of Molech in my closet, okay? I don't sacrifice animals to pagan gods. Therefore, I am not an idolater. However, idolatry is anything that violates the law of God as it pertains to worshiping anything other than God. And that's a little wider, um, it's a lot wider, actually, than what people tend to think. But we have the scripture. You don't need to turn there, but we're all familiar with this. Like Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 5, that deals directly with it. It says, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, 
or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So we need to understand something about idolatry, especially idolatry in our modern times. Idolatry is, at its heart, a worship of the self. We worship at the altar of the self. And I say that because idolatry is misplaced worship. Worship and obeisance and priority and preeminence, all these things that should go to God, instead go to the self. And because the Bible makes it clear that idols are the work of men's hands, and really an idol can be anything, anything that we create, anything we invent, anything that we imagine or achieve or earn. It can be any of these things the minute that any of these things come between us and God. Now maybe think, it may be helpful uh, to think of idolatry as being a very close cousin to lust, okay, because the two are very they're very closely related. They're very similar. And remember, 1 John 2.16 tells us, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Notice, again, speaking of origin, speaking of Genesis, these things that we lust after are not of the Father. They are of the world. That is the world system, of which we are part. So lust has no origin in the Father, but rather it, it has its origin in our hearts and minds. And what is lust? Now we must not think of lust as only being the prurient things, okay? The sensual things, the obvious matters between men and women. It is not limited to that, but rather lust is any inordinate desire that puts us at odds with God's law or puts us out of God's will. I'll say that again. Lust is any inordinate desire that puts us at odds with God's law or puts us out of God's will. What does inordinate mean? Simply put, it means too big, too powerful, out of control, out of proportion, exceeding the bounds of decency and or necessity. And so lust can be many things. Pursuing something out of God's will is lust. Having an overwhelming desire for something material is lust. Having an obsession that makes us neglect our prayer life is lust. Having an overwhelming desire for the things of this world is lust. We can go on and on and on. It's impossible to exhaust the, make an exhaustive list. And all of this we do, uh, all of this that we lust after, is to please who? Ourselves, right. Not I'm going to, uh, it sounds very, very similar to what we just read, but it goes a, a little into a little more detail describing idols, but the message is the same. And I want us to see this. Psalm 115, starting there in verse 4, it says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. There it is again. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. 
And here it is again. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. So here is a nearly identical description of idols and their general uselessness. It adds a few things, nose, hands, feet, okay? Interestingly, it mentions the mouth twice, again, just like the other passage. Y'all think that's important? St stay tuned, all right? Stay tuned. Okay, so once again, the principle is stated. Those who make idols become like those idols. Those who make idols take on the same general attributes of being utterly vain and useless. Okay, so let's follow the logic because we've seen it twice now. The Bible states that those who make idols become like their idols, powerless, vain, useless. So what about the corollary statement to that? This is something we study sometimes in, in our Sunday school lesson. We, we have a Bible truth, you know, that, that goes in, in, in this, this direction. And we say, if you turn it around, is it still true? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. So we ask this question then, where we have a people, where you have a people that have become dull of hearing and blinded and generally vain and useless as it concerns the things of God, can it be that they're trusting in idols? In other words, can we say that having the attributes of an idol is evidence of idolatry? I believe so. I believe so. But let's keep looking. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. All the scriptures come out of the Old Testament except for the last one. And why is that? It's because there's no new, there's no new thing under the sun. And people are the same in every age. Deuteronomy chapter 4, picking up in verse 27, if you'll follow along. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So this is a warning in the law of God. God was warning his people that one day, okay, they might mingle with the heathen peoples. And when that happens, they might begin to worship their gods. Turn away from the one true God and start worshiping their gods, little g gods. And turn away from serving the Lord. And this is what they could expect if they did such a thing. So we know historically, when we read the Old Testament, we know that's exactly what happened, okay. Um, and they were told, they were warned. They were warned that they would be scattered and that they would serve the heathen gods, which were no gods at all, right? But just figments of their imagination. And the Bible says so even here. Uh, we see the same description of idols that we saw in other passages. For all intents and purposes, there's no difference between gods, little g gods, and the word gods, and in little g gods, and the word idol is the same. They have the same, in the Bible, they have the same attributes and so they are the same thing. So these so-called gods could not see, they could not hear, they could not eat, they could not smell. It doesn't say so explicitly here in this particular passage but certainly they couldn't speak either. 
They were just the dumb creations of men's hands and men's minds. And notice too, really just as an aside, but you notice even in this passage though, we can see the mercy of the Lord. He says that even in this situation, scattered and serving other God, they could still find God, right? They could still find God if they would seek Him with half of their heart and some of their soul. Is that what it says? No. No, no, no. It says all of their heart and all of their soul. Because our God is a jealous God. There is no room for divided affections, divided worship, divided loyalties. You cannot worship at both the altar of the self and the altar of God. Can't do it. Many have tried. No one has succeeded. So now let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. Just keep those fingers warm. Got a lot of scripture to look at. Jeremiah chapter 10. We're going to look at another passage that talks about the idols of men. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right. The rest of y'all are slow pokes. All right, Jeremiah chapter 10, starting in verse 3, it says, For the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good." Again, bringing, just bringing the, bringing the point home again, right? The customs of the people, that is their habits of creating idols to worship, is vain. Here idols are described as the work of men's hands, once again. Notice how the idol can do nothing without man's help. It can't even stand upright without a man uh, putting some nails, okay, so that it can stand up. It can't speak, it cannot walk. It wouldn't even exist if men hadn't fashioned it out of wood and decked it with gold and silver. And so the Bible says to fear not these idols because they can do no evil in reality. <clears throat> However, neither should you trust in them, for they cannot do any good. All right. So now let's turn to Isaiah chapter 44. Here's we're going we're gonna to deep dive here. Isaiah chapter 44. Starting in verse 9. It says, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not, nor know, that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a god, or molten a great graven image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are men. Let them all be gathered together, let them stand up, yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. So notice, this is the biblical principle that we've already looked at, restated. It's, a little, it's worded a little differently, but it's restated here. Who are they, specifically in this passage? Those who make idols, correct? 
So the Bible says that they are all of them vanity. So not just the idols are vain, but they who make them are vain. So it's the same principle. It's just restated uh, a little differently. It says they are their own witnesses. So just as they are the creators and originators of their idols, right? So they are also the only ones who attest to the supposed attributes of their gods. Try to imagine what it was like back then in, in, in biblical times. You had people who lived on one hill, right? And they said, well, this is our God, and the, the, our God has these attributes. He can do this, he can do that, he can do this. Whatever they meant, you know, whatever attributes they wanted to give him. And the people over here on this hill said, well, this is our God, and our God can do this, 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 and this. And somebody living on another hill said, well, we have this different God, and he can do this, this, and this. So they just played this little game of our God's better than your God. And, you know, just, but really, it's just, they're just making it up. I mean, it's just, they're just, they have no other evidence other than their imagination. But so entranced are they by the idols of their own creation that they cannot see or know or understand enough to be ashamed. They are like the emperor in that fable about the emperor's new clothes. How many of you have ever heard that story? The emperor's new clothes? Okay. Um, in the story, he's, he, he's naked and he should be ashamed. But he's so enthralled by his own vanity and what people are telling him, he doesn't even know that he's naked and that he should be ashamed. So the scriptures go on to state that not only he who makes the idol should be ashamed, but all his fellows, all <clears throat> those who likewise put their trust in this idol. All this business is the work of men's hands and the work of men's imaginations. And all who trust in their own work will come to vanity and shame. And so then in the following verses, he goes on to describe uh, the, the smith, how he works metal with hammer and tongs and the strength of his arms. And he describes the carpenter and how he cuts and shapes wood into a wooden idol. <clears throat> so now look at verse 15. Pay attention very closely to what it's saying. It says, Then shall it be for a man to burn, for he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he will kindle it and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth it. He maketh it a graven image and falleth down there too. Do you see what's happening here? He cuts down a tree, right? And out of that one tree, he's going to take some of it and he's going to make kindling so he can stay warm. And then he's going to take, a, maybe he takes another part of the tree and makes some tools out of it. And maybe some of, some of the tree, maybe takes some branches and he'll, maybe he adds to his shelter, right? And maybe he, he uses some of the wood to cook his food, right? And then, out of what's left, he makes an idol to worship. All out of the same tree. Pick it up in verse 17. And the residue thereof he maketh a god. Even his graven image, he falleth down unto it, and worship it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. They have not known nor understood, for he has shut their eyes, that they cannot see, and their hearts, that they cannot understand. So here's a thought. <clears throat> Let's just start bringing this home. 
That carpenter there in verse 17 and 18, are we any different? We labor and we sweat to make money, and some of that money we use to buy housing because we need housing. And we buy food because we need food, right? And we buy clothing because we need to buy clothing. But what do we do with the residue? Good catch. What do we do with the residue? We buy a big television, pay for that Netflix subscription, that Disney subscription. Do we buy our fancy phones and our Amazon Prime with its movies and its worldly music? Our Spotify Premium, our Hulu, our fancy earbuds and all those streaming services? Do we buy fancy cars with the latest technology? And at the end of the day, when we're weary and tired and burdened and stressed out, do we look at all these gadgets and gizmos and amusements and say, deliver me from this day, for thou art my God. Deliver me from these worries and these burdens and these fears. Take my mind off of these things. Let me focus on you for a little while. For you comfort me and you soothe my soul. You are my peace and my joyful resting place. Is that what we do? Before God? Instead of God? Jonah 2.8 tells us, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Those who put their trust in vain things forsake that which is real. Let's keep digging. Isaiah chapter 6. Let's turn there quickly. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Now what's going on here? This is God instructing Isaiah to warn a people. Which people? Not the heathen. Okay. Not the Gentiles, not the unbelievers, okay? This was God telling Isaiah to warn his people, God's people. And in this particular case, God knew that the, the, God knew that the people were not going to listen. Not without punishment. 
First, God made their hearts fat. That's not a blessing. Same heart, heart doth make his heart fat. That's not a blessing, okay? What that means is that the mind is dulled and cannot reason. Their ears would be made heavy and their eyes would be shut so that they could not hear or see or understand. And why was God doing this? If we know from old, if we study your Old Testament, you know from this time of Isaiah, right? Because the people were idolatrous and because they had turned away from God in their ways and habits. A great punishment was coming. Terrible consequences were in store for these people because they had witnessed the mighty hand of God. They had experienced His blessing. They'd been given His word. And yet they still turned to their idols. And did not follow after the Lord with all their hearts. So now let's jump to the New Testament. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ quotes this exact passage. Matthew chapter 13. Now he had just, uh, he had just finished telling a parable... And we're going to pick up in verse 9. And so he says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And 11, he says, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. That should sound very familiar. Verse 14, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. This is, we see this numerous times in the words of Jesus Christ. Uh, none so prominently as in the book of Revelation. Now you don't need to turn there, but I think we're all very familiar uh, with these passages uh, you remember the epistles to the seven churches. Each one ends with these words by Jesus Christ. Revelation 2.7, says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And then there in verse 11, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He does that five more times, right? On down to Revelation 3.22, he, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Why does he word it like this? Why does he say that? You see, the disciples had the same question. They had the same sort of question, right? Jesus, why do you speak like this? Why do you phrase things the way you do? And Jesus says, because to you, okay, to you it is given to know the mysteries of heaven, but not to them. So who is you and who is them? Need to ask that question. I believe that you pertains to his disciples and them pertains to the people that he describes in the subsequent verses. Because it would be convenient for all Christians, okay, 
It would be easy and convenient if we could just say, well, you describes believers and them describes non-believers. But it's not that simple. Because you can be saved by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, and still fail to understand the mysteries of heaven, fail to grasp the teachings of Jesus Christ, fail to gain the knowledge that would be freely given to you if you would only become a disciple of his word. And so when he says them, yes, he is primarily talking about those who in his day did not believe in him. But I'm saying that from a practical standpoint, in terms of understanding God's words, in terms of understanding God's promises, in terms of grasping what he calls the mysteries of heaven, what's the difference between a non-believer and a believer who does not apply himself to learning God's word? What's the difference between a non-believer and a believer who does not become a disciple of Christ. Because I believe a man is saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. I believe that. But being saved doesn't mean you're a disciple. Where there is no discipline, there is no disciple. And if he's not a disciple then, then throw him in with the group that is described in verse 15. As far as his understanding is concerned, you just throw him in that group. In verse 14, Jesus says, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, meaning he is directly quoting the passage that we just looked at. Okay? He uses the same descriptors in verse 15 that Isaiah used in his prophecy. The heart is waxed gross. That's the same thing as the heart is, is made fat. Same thing. Meaning that uh, the heart is, is grown fat, heavy and dull. Has, the mind has grown heavy and dull. Same thing with the ears. They have grown heavy so that they cannot hear. Their eyes are shut so that they cannot see, though they have eyes. This should all sound very familiar now. So, what has happened to these people? Why, why do they have eyes that do not see? Why do they have ears that do not hear? By now, I think it should be perfectly clear to us how this happens. These people have begun like unto the idols that they fashioned with their own hands. We saw that at the beginning of this message, the precept declared by the Lord, that those who put their trust in idols become like unto their idols. It has been borne out in this situation. It is a universal principle that was true in the Old Testament times. It was true in Jesus' time, and it is still true today. So what does that look like today? You think about this. Why, why do we come to the Savior? We come to the Savior, or what, let me put it this way. When do we come to the Savior? We come to the Savior when we recognize our own spiritual poverty, our lost condition. And by the way, even after you're saved, that is an ongoing experience day by day. Uh, even after we're saved, every day we must recognize our own spiritual poverty and come to the Savior. But knowing that, then we must also recognize that spiritual poverty exists in our fellow man. Now I know that a man looks to the outward and God looks to the inward. So we cannot actually see spiritual poverty the way that we can see material poverty. Okay? Yet it is there. And I believe that the Spirit-filled, Spirit-led believer will be sensitive to those situations 
and be guided in the ministry of reconciliation, for that is what we've been given, the ministry of reconciliation. He will recognize the problem. He will see and understand the lost condition of his fellow man. He will hear the cries for help that are buried underneath that false pride that people carry about. He will hear the leading, the still, the still small voice of the Spirit uh, nudging him. And he will say the truth of God and witness to those people that he meets and share the gospel message with them. But that doesn't always happen, does it? Why not? Why do we have, e why do we have eyes that fail to see people as precious souls who need a Savior? Why do we have ears that filter out that still small voice and ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit? Why do we have feet and we do not go as we've been commanded to go? And worst of all, why do we have mouths that do not speak? When something needs to be said, when the need for the gospel message is imminent and present, why do we suddenly go mute? Do I need to make the spiritual leap for you? Okay, because I really can't. Not for you. I can only ask these questions. What would cause us to have such a monstrous disregard for the plight of our fellow men that we won't even share the gospel with them? Could it be that we are far, far more idolatrous than we think we are? Could it be that we spend far too much time at the altar of the self? Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.